0: Last week I talked about um, this unpopular word in the Bible called humility. Pardon? Oh, yeah, children, you can go out. Sorry. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that has really impacted me as I've been looking at this is um, our ability as human beings in our flesh to arrive at a conclusion that we don't need to change. That all these things that need to be dealt with is somebody else's problem. And uh, that in itself is a sign that we've got this problem called pride. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Isaiah, he prophesied that the, the, what the, The world would look like coming up to the final judgment what he said was that um, the world would be really confused because it would have got itself confused by its own pride its belief that it wasn't accountable to god that uh, and that that it had a a corner on its own wisdom and he he said those water those who are wise in their own eyes (laughs) and prudent in their own sight. And and when we lose this this external reference point, we get caught up in pride. And that's symptomatic of the world we live in. It's pride and thinking that we are white in our own eyes that drives everything that's going on in the world. Because without the Holy Spirit, what we take for wisdom is, in fact, foolishness, and that, thats why Isaiah uses his phrase. He says, "Water that." Th- this is the same uh, verses. Water those who call evil good and good evil. It's Isaiah 5:20 20 and 21. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness? He put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? See this—this this thing about not being willing to admit that we have anything that needs to change causes us to go down a path where we get confused about what's right and not, what's good and bad, what's light and darkness. And, and we see that. And when we get down there, we discovered last week that the, the, the issue becomes that we make excuses. So a person that has pride makes excuses. And we looked last week at what happened to Saul? Now, I want you to realise this and, and remember this. If you were here last week, God told Saul that it had been His intention to establish Saul on the throne, so that it would, his, his seed would go down generation by generation. And because of that. Because Saul did not follow God, because he got caught up in his own pride. And we looked at that, didn't we? He was more concerned about drawing a crowd and keeping a crowd around him than he was about what God had asked him to do. And and when he was challenged on this, what happened was, first of all, he said, but I did follow God. I did what he asked me to do when in reality he hadn't. So he knew he he was wrong, but he self-justified in his heart. I didn't do what I want you told me to do, God, but I did it for a really good reason, which is what I wanted to hold back all the best stuff to sacrifice to you, when God had told me to get rid of all the stuff. And and then when Samuel challenges him on that, he then says, it's everybody else's fault. They caused me to do it because they were mumbling and and complaining against me and I was losing them. I was losing the crowd. I was losing the congregation. So I felt I had to do what they they were saying. And and in the end, he blames everybody apart from himself. And even when Samuel says that that God has torn the kingdom from him and given it to another, he tries to grab hold of Samuel and pulling back and getting to change the decision. He tries to take by human means what he could not do because he lost the anointing. You see, we are meant to do things by the anointing of God. But when we don't have the anointing, because we are not following and doing what Jesus asked us to do, and we are not laying down our lives before him then we have to resort to human means. And so we come up with ideas about how to do kingdom stuff. (coughs) And the problem with that is, when we operate outside the anointing, we lay ourselves open to pride. Because if we do it, and we achieve it, then we get the glory for it. Oh yeah, we tag on the front, praise the Lord, But we we get the glory because things done in the anointing are very different to things done in the flesh. And we have to stop building the kingdom on fleshly means. We have to stop building the kingdom on social media. Stop building the kingdom on Facebook. Stop building the kingdom by telling people how great our meetings are. Stop building the kingdom by trying to draw a crowd by human means. Stop building the kingdom by selling tickets. I know things cost, but when did the gospel when was it meant to cost? When did people have to pay to hear the gospel? What What we do? We got caught up in something that we were never meant to get caught up in. And the result of that is all our human efforts to build church has resulted in the church declining. And, and during lockdown, us losing, in this nation and in the West, the very generation that we tried to attract to church. And we found out we hadn't discipled them so they were strong to get through. And so we, we have all these things with pride. And here's the thing, and, and I'll come back to what I was talking about last week. Just gone through my journal. Hang on. <clears throat> when we see our abilities as more and more vital for the kingdom, and you begin to think that you're special and the church couldn't do without you, and the kingdom couldn't do without you, and the movement couldn't do without you, and this ministry couldn't do without you. When, when you get yourself in that place, and you, and you start to think that you're irreplaceable, God says you're replaceable. That's what He did with Samuel, at uh, Saul. That Saul got himself in that place, and God replaced him. Now, who did He replace him with? What what was what is what is Saul doing? Well, Saul. He, he, he repeated the same error twice. He didn't do what God said. So he, he sacrificed. He, he did a sacrifice. Firstly, at a time God had told him not to. And secondly, he couldn't do sacrifice anyway because he was a king and not a priest. And the priest submitted the sacrifice. And then in the second one, what does he do? He, he holds back some of the loot from Amalek and the Amalekites, all the best stuff, And he says, well, we held it back to sacrifice it to you. And God said, I told you to destroy everything, everything of sin in the camp. I told you to get it out of there. Yeah, but I held back the best bit. And God said, I I, I didn't want it. Do you want that? And so that's his sin. Now, here's here's, here's the next person. The next person who comes along is a murderer. A murderer by any stretch of the imagination. And a murderer who did it because he fancied somebody else's wife. Who is the biggest sinner? Don't give me the, if you sin once what you've transgressed over of law." That's not the answer <laughs> I'm looking for. Because you all know that, don't you? <clears throat> But who's the biggest sinner? We would all say the murderer, wouldn't we? We would say, kind of, that's unfair, isn't it? So what's the difference? Here's the difference. Samuel says it to Saul. He said, God is looking for a man after his own heart, and you're not him. So he's going to replace you with another. And so he replaces him with David. Now David's a murderer. So how can that be? How can the murderer carry the anointing? And the anointing leave the one who just did the sacrifice at the wrong time. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The anointing is a gift of grace. It's something that God gives us. It's not something we generate. And so God is resisting those who are proud in their own hearts. So if we've got pride in our hearts, then he's resisting us. No wonder it's so hard to new church stuff these days, is it? No wonder it takes so much money to build the buildings we build and the kingdoms we build. There's just no reason, is there? Except God resisting the power. But he gives grace to the humble. And so when we get to, to David... We find out in Acts that David has a name attached to him. And that name is the man after God's own heart. The one who received the anointing when God replaced Saul. And and this is what this is what happens (coughs) with David, because he's he's done murder, and and you probably you will know this psalm. It's Psalm fifty one. says this, and I'll start at verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. What's important then? God is concerned about your heart more than he's concerned about your actions. Your actions follow your heart. What you do indicates where your heart is. So by looking at our own lives, we can work out, am I actually following Jesus? Or am I deceived and just think I'm following Jesus? Because what's in our heart comes out in our actions. And so God's concerned about his heart. And David says, well, this this is the thing. You, God, desire truth in the inward part." And and David says, ask God to have mercy upon him. And he turns to God and he says, here's here's the problem I recognise, God, about me. I sinned against you. Now, I I look at that and I think, well, who did he... Surely, he he sinned against the guy he murdered. Surely, he sinned with Bathsheba. Surely, they were his sins. And he says, no, I've sinned against God. Why? Because I knew to follow God, and I knew it was wrong. And so, we, we go on to verses, let's go on to verse 10 to 13. This is, this is David's response to the realisation. Now, contrast this with what I just told you about, how Saul responded. You remember, I, didn't, I, I did what God said. It was everybody else's fault. <clears throat> and blamed everybody else. And then the people made me do it. And I, need, I thought I'd lose the crowd. This is, this is David's response. Creating me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation, your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall turn to you. just a little aside there, when you, this is before the cross. So David carried the anointing as God's anointed one. We are all born again of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, take not your Holy Spirit from me, how does that work for us? And people will say, well that's Old Testament doesn't apply. Well here's what happens when we grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? By carrying sin in our hearts, not following Jesus, by carrying offense, by carrying contention, by getting involved in disputes and attacking other people. That's how you grieve the Holy Spirit. And and it, it says in Ephesians, the word that's used there is, deeply pains and cuts to the heart of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, what happens is, the Holy Spirit goes. He doesn't leave, it goes quiet. And he stops moving. You see, the anointing is the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life and upon your life. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit goes quiet and stops moving on our life. So the anointing goes. And, and David said, the worst thing that can happen to me is for you to take your anointing from me, Lord, and for your presence not to be with me. So if if you get a group of people whose hearts are after the Lord, men and women after God's own heart, the manifest presence will turn up when we get together, because He'll be here. When we we are not after His heart, it won't. It's, it's that simple. So that's what he's saying then. He's saying, I don't want to live like that. I I recognise all the things I can have in the world. I'm king of Israel, and yet I recognise that the most precious thing to me is your presence. And that's still true today. The most precious thing in the world is the presence of Jesus ministered to us through the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 16, 17, he says in, For you don't desire sacrifice. Remember, Saul thought it was a great idea to give sacrifice. You don't desire sacrifice. You desire... You do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit... And a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you do not despise. God does God will always turn towards a contrite heart. He's, he's promised that draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Repent and I'll come to you. I'll return to you, said the Lord. That's how he used to talk to Israel. Repent and I will return. And and, and God's like that. And you see. Coming back to this, this thing I'm making, God replaced Saul because of Saul's pride with somebody who had no pride and was willing to admit he needed to change, even though his sin was greater. And, and that, that doesn't seem that great for us because it, it, it doesn't fit with our fleshly logic. But it fits with Kingdom logic. Because God resists the power and His grace to humble. And so, you, you get these, these warning signs that we can identify in our lives. Here's the trick. You need to identify these in your life, not other people's lives. Because when you identify these in other people's lives, it might be a good sign to stay clear of them, but when you judge it, that's pride, because he's saying I've got nothing to deal with myself. So here's how warning signs on humility work. that A lack of humility tries to achieve and take hold of, by its own strength, that which God has promised he will give freely. How, how might that work? That's when we try and take hold of growing the kingdom by our own strength when God has said, I'll give you freely the anointing that will convict, heal, set free, and deliver. Not by might, not by strength, says the Lord, but by my spirit. And so, might and strength, our own might and strength, that's connected to our pride, whereas trusting in the Lord and walking in his anointing is connected to his spirit. And that's a grace that we give them. Lack of humility fears people not gathering around them and not following them. And as a result of that, we do many things to try and gather people. Gathering people is not the same as changing hearts. And if if you imagine, the, the state that we are in as a nation, Cheryl and I were talking about this the other day. The, the church-going population in the UK, depending on how you estimate, it is somewhere like 2-4% to 4% of the population. Now, if you, if you put that in context, that means there's 96-98% to 98% of the UK population that does not believe in Jesus does not follow him in any way, therefore does not have access to heavenly wisdom and operates entirely on worldly wisdom. And then you translate that and you say, well, I know that in that 2%, there's a load of people who just like, just don't do anything. they just like, it, church is just something they go to occasionally, because they get counted in that 2%. And, and it's, there's no real change, they're not on fire for God. That's the state we're in in this nation, it's actually a tiny part of 1%. And so, you can't reverse that by human means and human strategies and human plans. Because the maths work against you all the time. The only way to change things in this nation is to seek a revival by us carrying the anointing of God. And so we have to be humble people. And that means we have to steer clear of all the stuff that gets us into pride. You see, the crowds come to the revival and you don't have to gather the crowds. Why? Because the crowds come from outside the church and they're convicted by the Holy Spirit and they come into the church. They don't move from church to church. And so we need a revival in this land, all we're done for. We've got to understand that. And and the thing that that prevents that isn't that it's, you know, God's not on it. It's that we're not on it. Because there's pride in us. And we need more of his anointing, so we need more humility. You see, pride seeks to appease God and man. Humility seeks to please God alone. That's what David found. Pride seeks to share the glory and approval. Humility gives God all the glory. Pride thinks I have to tell everybody about my ministry in order for it to be effective. Humility says, listen to this, I don't want the ministry unless God gets all the glory. I don't want the ministry unless God gets all the glory. And that, That's a real test, isn't it, for people in ministry? Are we prepared to say, I don't want this ministry unless God gets all the glory for me"? You see, humility knows that everything is a result of God's goodness. Not our ability. And so we, we have this principle that God will replace the proud and the not the humble. And that doesn't just mean the leader of the church. It did then, in the Old Testament, because the Holy Spirit hadn't been given to all men because our redemption hadn't been paid for. Sin covering under the law was temporary. Now under Christ, it's permanent. We have a clean heart. We have the righteousness of Christ dwelling in us by the Holy Spirit. And so, so for us, we need to make sure that we are walking in what God's called us to do. And so when when we do that, we look at our lives. And we say... How does my life measure up to what God's shown me I should be expending my life, my energies, my time, and my affections on? And we're all going to come up with different answers. And to the extent we follow those answers is the extent we will all carry the anointing of Christ because it's available to all. So, one of us might say, well, I need to lay down everything, I need to lay aside my job, and I need to train for ministry. That's kind of what I did. Not exactly in that order, but kind of what I did. Somebody else might be told by the Spirit of God, actually, your job is to be really successful in your job, but I want you to do it with me so we can bless the kingdom. You see, there's a difference. So we all carry that anointing in different ways, but we need to know what we're called to and what God's asking of us. Not just like saunter our way through life, trying to get on in life and be successful and make money so that one day we can retire so that we can have a few days in the sunshine before we go to meet Jesus. That's not going to impress Jesus. It might impress your buddies, but it won't impress Jesus. Not if he's asked you to do something different and and have different priorities. And for all of us, he calls us to lay down our lives for him. And it's this this thing that Jesus is going to bring out about his purposes with or without you. It's all going to happen like he said it would. And so God's purpose was to create a dynasty, a, a, a line that went forever through Saul. But Saul was not a man after God's heart, so he anointed David instead, and Jesus came from the line of David instead. He was replaced because he carried pride and not humility. And here's the point, Jesus is coming through victorious remnant pride, and he's coming with or without you, he's coming, with or without you, pride thinks well, I'll be there because it wouldn't be as good without me, because I was the anointed worship leader, I was this, I was that, it wouldn't be as good if I wasn't here, pride thinks that. Nevertheless, Jesus is still coming with or without you. It's what's in our heart that he's looking for. Revival in a city or in this nation is going to happen with or without you. And some people go around and they think that they're teeth like specially chosen somehow, that revival can't happen until they get their act together, or they are in the right place. No. All God's looking for for revival is a bunch of people whose hearts are after him and not after everything else. That's all he's looking for. He says Jesus is coming back with or without me. He's in, he's in a new one for you. The new Jerusalem is coming down with or without you, whether you're in it or not. Jesus will inherit the nations with or without you. You know, I, I hear people say, Oh Lord, give me the nations. No, they're Jesus. They're not yours. The promise is to Jesus that he inherits the nation. You see, God does not choose a person based on their gifts. Listen to this really carefully. Because we convince, we, we convince that God chooses based on gifts. And we know that's the wrong answer, but we still think it's the right one. God doesn't choose us on the basis of our gifts. Why? Because he's the one who gave you. He's already done that bit. God chooses you on the basis of your availability and your heart after him. He can handle the other stuff. When you say, I'm really, I'm really gifted at this. Just think it out. What you're really saying is God's given me this amazing gift of this gifting. But I carry that amazing gift of this gifting knowing that whether I had it or not, God can handle what he's about to do. Because he gave me this gifting in the first place. Do you, do you see? Do you see what I'm saying? Everything comes from Him, and He chooses us based on certain things. As I said it right at the start of this last week, who wants to live so that you are chosen to do something significant for Christ? And if you were here, I think everybody put their hands up that that's what they would like in their life. Well, here's the criteria God uses. Humility. Will he really get all the glory? I think I can't remember where I shared this. If I shared it here last week. I've been talking that much lately. I can't remember where I shared it. So I may repeat myself. It's not a sign of age or anything like that. Oh, I am getting older. I'm just re- I'm, I'm just repeating myself. I forgot why I said it. But it was something that I came across, and you know, one of the things over the years that I've have read everything I can find about the great men and women of God that in previous generations, people like John G. Lee, people like uh, Charles Finney. People like Amy Semple MacPherson, people like Catherine Kuhlman, people like Oliver Roberts. You know, people who've seen these incredible miracles and moves of God in their life and revived it. People like Evan Roberts, people like (coughs) Jim Campbell. And you know, I've studied all this, I thought I'd read all the books, but. A few weeks ago, I came across this interview. It was an interview with Oliver Roberts when he was old. And this interviewer was saying to him like, there's these amazing things that, you know, that happened in the 1950s and 1960s. And there was you, and there's A. A. Allen, and Jack Poe and you're holding these big tent crusades, and there's these amazing miracles. You know, bones just growing in legs, cancers falling off people's bodies. Just incredible stuff. And they said to all well, over so now, why, why is it? Why, where did that go? Where did it fade? And, and they said, is it because God just moved on and he's doing something different in the church now? Or is it because that, that, that God is, is kind of uh, changing the emphasis that he needed to bring that into the church, but he was done with it. You know, it was in the church, and then he moved on to teach people what they needed to read the word to themselves. And, and, and we got the, the the word of faith revival move, And you know, all those things that came after it, the charismatic renewal, teaching people at the gate. So is it all alone? And this guy suggested, oh, he asked the question, and he told old Robert all so the answers he had to come up with, which is kind of amusing. And old Robert said, no none of those things. Yeah, I thought it would be one of those things. No lover said this. He said, the anointing faded on our lives. And the guy said, why? And he said, you need to hear this. Because we start." started to Compete with each other about who was the biggest in And then you start started crying. And he that So, God chooses on the basis of humility, on the basis of availability. Make yourself available. Many people don't make themselves available. Hebrews tells us another thing that God chooses on the basis of. He says that God is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. Without diligently seeking the Lord, no reward. What does he reward you with? His presence and his anointing moving through your life. He rewards you with himself, being in your life. But it's only when we diligently seek it. Not when we go, oh, I wish, I wish God was moving more. or I wish we could have revival. Or let's just all pray for revival. That's not going to get revival. What gets revival is hearts are diligently seeking the Lord. You know, people will will pray the prayer that Evan Roberts prayed to start the world's revival, which is bend me, Lord. Bend me, Lord. And then replace that with Bender's Law, Bender's Law. <laughs> it's a subtle difference. <coughs> what Evan Roberts was saying is, I don't want any of me if it gets in the way of you. And God changed a nation through him. Him and a few other young guys. And one song being sang up the coal mining valley carried the nature. You know, There's a, there a point during that revival, and it, it didn't last long, it was less than two years, but <coughs> tens and tens of thousands were coming into the kingdom every month. And they, they put a sign on the Welsh border, and it said, if you enter this nation, you are likely to start following Christ. Because they were. Why? Because they diligently sought him and did not want anything in the way of them finding him. So they said, "Ben me. Bend me. So, humility, availability, diligently seek him. And here's the last one. It's connected to the other three. And this is something that I heard Catherine Pullman say um, on one of her things that she called it, still find. And I heard Benny Hinn say it because he was called by Catherine Pullman. And it's this: it's, uh, who does God give the anointing to? That's the question. And who won't receive the anointing when they ask for it? Those who receive the anointing, that's the power of God moving through their life. This, this is what I want, we should all want this. It's God's plan for the church. The glorious end time, right, it's God's plan. God will give you the anointing in the measure that he can trust you with the anointing. Well of course you can trust me. Oh, no, that's I haven't finished the sentence. God <coughs> will give you the anointing, if he can trust you with the anointing, that is to the extent you will give him all the glory for the anointing. And if you'll give him all the glory for the anointing, he can trust you with it. That's what happened with Old Roberts and the other guys. They got their eyes off that too. We, we live in a time where we can't afford to think that we've got all the answers and we've got it all nailed and all we need is a few more symposiums, church conferences and books writing about how to do church. They did not prepare as well for lockdown. Lockdown was uncomfortable, but it was not persecution. And we all think that's something that will happen to a future generation. It's gonna happen in this generation because things are moving too quickly now where men call good evil and evil good. They call light dark and darkness light. And it's so much so that the body of Christ is being really challenged by all of this. And going, where do we stand? And we're departing from the word. Whereas God is calling us back to his word and back to diligently seeking him and give him all the glory for what he does to us. So we need to, you know, like we prayed earlier, we need to lay aside all the stuff that's getting in between us and God. And we need to go after him with all our hearts. Because when the next thing comes, we must not be unprepared. The preparation is not a logistical one, it's a heart one. You came through the first test. Well done, good and faithful servants. There's more to come. That sounds not very optimistic, doesn't it? But it is scriptural. It is scriptural. want less people in hell and more people in heaven when it all comes down. And to do that, you need to cultivate a humble heart. The first step to cultivating a humble heart is to tell Jesus you have one. And the second step is to say you can deal with anything you need to to give him one. Then he'll take it from there if you give him that. might think I don't need to do it. Well, I'm telling you right here, I need to do it, I need to keep doing it, and I need to do it every day. Because to answer otherwise would be quite. Amen. Let's stand. I realize it's an honor to get to do what I get to do. It's also an honor to realize that I'm replaceable. Because that keeps me healthy. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you. We ask you to move the us to move on out. Well, where the stuff that we need to lay down, we lay down. Where our hearts are not on fire, we ask you to ignite them. We ask them to turn turn them to you and burn up what is not of you. We ask that as we we ask you and, and we return to those things that you called us to in life, that that you will anoint them, you will bless them, you will pour out your favour on them. That if that's our careers, Lord, you will bless our careers. That you will will just bring in outrageous finances and bonuses. If that's our health, Lord, you will bless our bodies. If that's our tithe, that you will redeem our tithe, as you have promised. That you will take back what the enemy has stolen. And give us seven times what he thought he could take. Yeah. So Lord, we ask you to make sure that our hearts stay for you. Yeah. Our hearts are held by you. Our hearts are after you and diligent to see you Father, we desire you to move in this city and in this region. And I ask, Lord, you don't do it without us. You find here hearts. Put our trust in you. That you are the faith. And you said, Lord, if we ask anything, according to your will. If we ask anything in your name, that you'll we'll do it. And Lord, where we've asked in your name this morning, where we've asked according to your will, we trust you, Lord, and we thank you that you will do it. You will do it. joy, your energy, your encouragement, your expectancy. I ask you to move and keep moving in our hearts day by day, Lord.